0: Future Life Podcast. I'm Adam. Here as always, with my good buddy Casey. Casey, how you doing? Doing good, man. Feeling good. How are you? I'm feeling phenomenal. Thank you. This week, we're talking about the the, the damn cops again. Uh, this time, from a, a more media and pop culture perspective, focusing specifically on HBO's uh, The Watchmen, but uh, probably not exclusively. And we're joined by two phenomenal guests that I'm thrilled to have on the show. Uh, first up is the co-host of Podside Picnic, a podcast about sci-fi from a leftist perspective. Podside Pete Johansson. Uh, Pete, welcome to Future Left. Thank you. It's really good to be here. Absolutely. And next up is the co-host of Struggle Session. It's a great podcast about pop culture criticism from the left. We have Leslie Lee Third, who actually wrote about HBO's The Watchman back in uh, December, I believe, uh, on Truth Dig. You can check that out. Uh, and uh, Leslie, thanks for joining us on Future Left. Yeah, thank you
1: so much for having me. Happy to be here.
0: Absolutely, uh, you'll find links to those podcasts and their Patreon, so you can listen and support them. We recommend you do both. But with that, let's dig into uh, the Watchmen and propaganda. Um, so, uh, I guess first question: we should probably create a baseline here. Probably on the one hand about propaganda, c- but also on the other hand about the original Watchmen by Alan Moore. And Dave Gibbons, as opposed to the new HBO series by Damon Lindelof, uh, which was actually I didn't realize this until this very episode that we're recording now, that Dave Gibbons was actually a producer on the show, which is kind of surprising given uh, uh, what I feel like is a departure from the original work. uh, Uh,
2: Departure, to say the least, I I think.
0: (laughs) But uh, so, gentlemen, what do we think uh, the original Watchmen had to say about crime and the people that fight it?
1: Um, so the I mean, for those who haven't read it, first of all, you should absolutely read it. Uh, Not for reasons to have to do with the TV show, because I really don't think they have all that much to do with one another. But in the original Watchmen, it was basically Alan Moore trying to figure out like what would superheroes be like in the real world. Not just meaning like what if you teleported a superhero into our real world, but like what type of people would actually you know put on a cape uh, and a mask and go out and fight crime in the in our world. And that of course uh, his conclusion was that it would be extremely fucked up people, uh, violent <laughs> fascists or people working out, you know, their unresolved sexual issues by, uh, going around and beating up like poor people and youth. And that, and that's what he says about, you know, and basically what he says is they would be cops too, (laughs) more or less. They would be just, and, and literally in the Watchmen comic book, the first superheroes are police officers who put on masks to hide their, uh, identity when they want to do a little bit of rough, uh, street justice, uh, that they can't do with their uh, with their, their badge on.
2: We see that For now sure. as well. Sure. <laughs> yeah. yeah, they've been doing the same thing recently.
3: Yeah, I I don't disagree with anything Leslie said there. Uh, one of the things I do want to call out is that um, like Alan Moore has always had a fixation with superheroes as archetypes or tarot figures or mystic symbols, whatever you want to call it. And so I, I, it's in some ways, I feel like taking what he did does and porting it later and examining the propaganda through somebody else's writing means that the person who did that sort of misses the point. I mean, like examining what Alan Moore is doing, you almost need to do exegesis because like he's, (laughs) I love him, but he's a fucking mystic. Can I swear on your... Oh, my God. Okay. Yeah, fucking mystic. Yeah, yeah,
2: for sure. The the phrase fucking mystic is like... Should be the catchphrase of this show. It said so much. (laughs) (laughs) Can't go through an episode without hearing someone say the fucking
1: mystic. And, w- and one thing uh, worth pointing out about Alan Moore and how he feels about superheroes, which is important to keep in mind when talking about uh, HBO's Watchmen, which has a reputation for having extremely poignant things to say about race and racism. Mm. Uh, what Alan Moore says about race and superheroes is that basically uh, Birth of a Nation, which is the film about the birth of the cuckoo, cuck's clan is the first superhero film that the american Uh um, identity and ideal of the superhero is implicitly tied with the white supremacy of america right
0: and i i would also imagine that you know the fact that in the original Watchmen that not many of these uh costumed uh creeps and uh, violent abusers it's not an accident that there aren't people of color represented there if as i recall You know?
1: yeah, um, Alan Moore was making this before and he, he he got dinged for this when this show came out because people were like, well uh, the show, and Damon Lindelof actually said this as well, that you know there's not a lot of POCs and the women are, are in the back burner in Watchmen. First of all, it's not true that the women are in the back burner, that's just For not. sure. It's poor reading, um, but there's not a lot of POCs because it's about a bunch of super cops and uh, yeah. it's not a thing that I want to see a bunch I don't need to see like a bunch of black cops. Black cops are just like, you know, white <laughs> cops. They're bad. I don't need representation doesn't matter like that.
3: Well, and and fundamentally, uh I and feel free to jump on me, guys. I, this this is me being emotional rather than too thoughtful. Uh fundamentally, when you're talking about superheroes, you're talking about a power fantasy of I can't sure. get what I want done, so I want to make it happen. It's wish fulfillment. And it tends to be wish fulfillment of people who want everybody else to shut the fuck up, which is a very like it's not surprising (laughs) to me at all that most superheroes are white guys, because like that's that's the fantasy. Like everybody else sit the fuck down so we can finally get things done the way we want, which I mean, is is hilarious when I think about it too much, because like what else is happening?
0: But that's directly like related to copaganda, right? Because I I feel like one of the things you see in every media and not every, but most media portrayals of cops is that the good cops are willing to step outside the rules, you know, and they're, you know, even in this show, Angela Abar, the protagonist, like uh, she, like, I think in episode one, there's like an enhanced interrogation, right? Where she, 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 she brutalizes a suspect in custody.
1: Well, yeah. It's not only that. It's like they were already using some like uh fucking like psychological torture on him <laughs> beforehand, yeah. and that was yeah. fine. Yeah. Actually, that was fine. She it's went like, in and stuck and crossed the line after they had already taking him to a black site. Yeah,
2: and yeah. and and by having her go to those lengths, it really did seem like they they the characterization was supposed to be. Look, what lengths she's willing to go to. Like, it seems to, to be fight white incredible. supremacy. Ex- right, she exactly. Explicitly
1: says it white supremacy. Uh, I, 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 I have a nose for white su- supremacy, and this guy smells like bleach. And so, yeah. of course, if you show her torture him, even though we in the real world know torture is wrong, I don't see yeah. how you can say the show is trying to, like, say that she is wrong and she is violent for going after white to su- a literal Klansmen, violent white supremacist terrorists she beats him up a little bit like uh, roughs him up that's not like anti-copaganda that's not saying we don't need the police or the police are bad no 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 there are more images of the cops fighting white supremacists and right. Klansmen in this than there is in any other show which is of course completely ridiculous because they would yeah. if you want an uh, image of of a cop fighting a Klansman, it would be the image of spider-man pointing at himself
2: yeah. well yeah. I, I was just about to say can you imagine trying to portray a police officer as being this passionate about destroying uh white supremacy like it's such an <laughs> it's such an odd it's almost um it almost seemed like intentional irony that that uh, they were saying, boy, we all know that cops, boy, they hate injustice, especially white <laughs> supremacy, right?
1: I mean, that's the first, the first, the first lie of propaganda is that cops hate injustice, as opposed sure. to like, like, like that's the first lie of it. At and, best, and cops they took it to the do next level because they're
2: told to, like, at best, if yeah. there's no <laughs> sense of like moral calling or,
0: yeah.
3: Well, the, the foundation of all this is basically, like, there are people out there who deserve to have just the shit knocked out of them. Exactly. And yeah. One, yeah. once you pick a target like that, your scope just starts to widen. Like, next thing you know, she's chasing people down who are like, what? what is the, 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 the grease slide the into Luga. the brain guy? Yeah, I mean, it's just, where, where does it fucking end?
2: Normally, I'm all for uh, punching a, a white supremacist, and I still am. But that is a weird uh, thing that you see in superhero, uh, you know, in these sort of fantasies, especially in comic books, where every crime, the solution to it is is violence. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> and, yeah. and, and and Pete, you mentioned earlier that you know this sort of superhero fantasy it, it, that uh, you know is sort of a, a white, you know, it's a very. Um, very patriarchal very white supremacy sort of fantasy and it immediately makes me think of elon musk and the other like uh you know tech uh man child geniuses who think that they 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 would solve all the world's problems if we would just get out of their way and let them do it like elon musk seems like the first guy who would be in line to, to be a uh you know superhero who punches people to pieces I mean, well, he, and he, I'll
3: he, go he, a step further. I think he does think of himself as a superhero. Oh yeah, absolutely.
1: absolutely.
3: 100%. Yeah. Uh, and he just like like you could just watch his moral code rotting out of his skull like the more yeah. important he thinks he is. It's embarrassing.
1: <laughs> well, the, the another person who thinks they're a superhero and I know and who said that he liked this show, this was one of his favorite things he watched is Barack Obama. And oh as God. far as like the moral oh, core rotting around him in real time. We got to see that over those eight oh, years. Oh boy!
3: Yeah, it's laugh or cry with that guy, man. I was so devoted to him at some point, and like, just like the farther I went on, it was like, well, you know, maybe we shouldn't drone strike weddings. What the fuck? <laughs> yeah, yeah,
2: i i I remember, I remember the uh, the last remnants of my uh, liberalness uh, when when I would, was finding myself supporting him on every little thing, and then I realized that I just didn't have the uh, drive to defend him anymore, and I thought, well, maybe that points to something. Maybe he's not deserving it, but I, I remember people talking about, you know, why didn't he uh, do more uh, for, you know, police violence and to help the African-American community, and the answer that people got back from, you know, activists and people on the left is he's not a moral machine. He's a political He's a politician. That's all that's all he thinks about, you know, when he's and when he's saying that the Watchmen is his favorite show. I'm sure even that is because there's some sort of marketing in his mind that thinks that's that's going to be like a good little soundbite or, you know, give him some uh, some pop culture cred or something.
3: He's like the last page of your civics book, you know, it's like (laughs) and then we elected the smartest guy on earth and he was black and things went great from there. And yep. Yep. I mean, nothing ever ends, man. It's like they people got the fantasy they wanted, and what you got was an enforcement of the patriarchy from somebody who checks some boxes, and it fucking sucks. Exactly. I have yep. got to start backing off on the f bombs, guys. I don't know what's going on with me, but thank you. Uh,
2: nah,
0: keep it up. It's, Pete, uh, it's, it's our bread and butter. It's fucking fine. <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, um, so I mean. I mean, I think there's a lot to say about Barack Obama and liberal politics more generally in this show. But I think like one of the more interesting, like immediately in episode one, there is this juxtaposition of the the Tulsa massacre in 1921, which which, frankly, when it opened on that, I was actually kind of excited about the show. Right. I was like, I've never seen this put on like film or a prestige show where people are going to see it. Um, and um, uh, and then it goes from there to like a, a white supremacist uh, shooting a black cop who can't unlock his gun because of Robert Redford or some fucking because thing because of liberal I I,
1: reforms uh, to the police yeah, he, yeah. a black cop is gunned down by a white supremacist in the opening scene of this show
0: yeah in the real world they're the same character yes. <laughs> so yeah, it's less of an issue but uh, no, I mean, I don't, I don't know. The, the coming back to just you know the, the watchmen more generally, I like even you know we, we talked started talking off about Alan Moore and the the original comic. I mean, what do you think is like a bigger like departure? Because I, I thought there was a, a there was a, like very unexpected takes on these characters um, like f- between like, uh, Adrian Veet, Ozymandias' comedy fart, which I, I, I would have never guessed that that's where that was heading, or uh, Laurie's uh, big blue dildo. I Like, uh. there was, like, I don't think that... This isn't where we left these characters. I don't think that that's uh, who they were. I don't know. It was very strange to me. I remember one of the writers giving an
2: interview about the big blue dildo, and they were speaking in such... Uh, the most ridiculously, almost, like, Jungian symbolic terms like it was supposed to be a picture into her psyche and her romanticization of of and I was just like oh my god climb out of your own ass please like you just you gave her a big blue dildo and I feel like literally in the writer's room it was like hey look at this well
3: Fucking you know nice. sometimes like Freud said sometimes a big blue dildo is just a big blue dildo sometimes sure, Dr. Manhattan's sure.
2: dick is Dr. Manhattan's dick that's what Freud always said Right,
1: right. Of well, I would say the Freudian reading, along with a, a Fananian reading, would uh, focus that that Phallus is not actually a big blue dildo in this show. It's a big black dildo in reality because Doctor Manhattan in this show is a black man. And they also show and shit. played by a black man, and he shows his. Big blue black black penis blue I I don't, I don't remember if it's blue or black brown at the time but he does show his penis in the ce- in one of the scenes where he's what he's caged and disempowered and asking the white women to save him something like that yeah uh, oh caged by the white supremacists. yeah so there's something so what they thought they were revealing the uh, the psyche of the character of course they were re- revealing the psyche of the creators who came up with this sure. uh, completely bizarre uh, and com- and as you say you know tonally inconsistent idea because the point of Watchmen is that Laurie gets over Dr. Manhattan right. and instead we're meant to believe and again Again, this is Damon Lindelof who criticized what he, uh, the representation of women in the original Watchmen. He said he was going to do better by the women in what, mm-hmm. in uh, his show. So he made her first of all, he changed her personality to make her like completely unlikable and nasty and snarky for no real particular yeah, yeah, yeah. reason. And then also like, and then you find out that oh. Oh, she has a vulnerability in that she's just hung up on her like old boyfriend's dick so much that she carries a giant blue dildo around with her all the time she packs it in yeah. her luggage while she's driving just completely bizarre and like sexist and out of yeah. place that served no purpose and had no follow-up whatsoever aside from the fact that they did like a bunch of they literally like two pdfs about it on their website to explain it and as you said they did an interview about it like that week after that sh- after that episode air only thing people were talking about and HBO and that includes the people from HBO and the writers on the show. They were just talking about this big blue dildo that yeah. meant nothing and had nothing to do with the character, right. the plot, or anything. Just completely bizarre. And I like point just posting that picture whenever somebody tries to tell me that this show is good.
2: <laughs> I, 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 what you mentioned how unlikable uh, her character was made, and that was the thing that came. What the the sense that I got is they made her. What a sexist man thinks a powerful, uh, strong woman is. Like they, yeah. I, feel like yes. I feel like they were trying to make her powerful and like and strong, and but they made her like just sort of yeah, like you said, snarky and just really off-putting. And then I think. I almost think that the showing that she she's still curious around Dildo. like she tries to act like she's tough you know it's like they were sort of uh, enjoying you know poking a hole in this in this woman's this so-called strong woman's armor but she still she still wants oh, the dick though
1: and she didn't and they didn't stop there because while we we're seeing the dildo scene she is also sending a message to her uh, black-boob uh, ex-boyfriend from like 20 years ago because she's still hung yeah. up on him. And yeah. she, in part of the montage, she goes and sleeps with her junior agent who looks like he's about uh, eight, 17 years old. Sure. And she's a woman yeah. well into her 40s or 50s.
2: I'm surprised there wouldn't have seen with her like g- gossiping at, at, a, at a salon or something. or <laughs> <laughs>
3: I've I've got something related I'd like to call out here. You, you were talking about how this was sort of like a a, a Lindhoff or a, a dumbass, whatever you want to call it, view of what a strong woman would be. Yeah. Something very similar happens when you look at Adrian Veidt and Dr. Manhattan. Because one of the genuinely interesting things to me about the original Watchmen was that both of those characters became more and more isolated and unable to yeah. relate to human beings properly uh adrian because he was a mental god and just couldn't relate to the the monkeys around him and he's elon well, musk he's elon yes. musk yeah and, and then i mean dr manhattan i guess for similar reasons because he was a literal god yeah and it's almost like um i'm going back to the bible guys but like you know the book of job <laughs> Thank God. Thank
2: God. Again, here we go again, Pete. Yeah.
3: Everybody oh, treats the Book of Job like it was it was written by one guy overnight, and then it was released in the theaters. Right? Sure. That that story was written over a hundred of years, and it's actually sure. an argument. So, like the yeah. first guy came in, and it's like God is really mean and deal with it, and then another guy inserted a couple of chapters in of God screaming at Job, saying, "How dare you? You deserve right. this." And then the next guy put, and that's sort of what's happening here: is that Alan Moore steps forward and says, "Looks what happens to these powerful people—they get completely isolated. They're no longer human." And Lindhoff goes, "I disagree. So I'm going to tack this bullshit onto your legacy." Or,
2: or it may be a more direct, uh, you know, uh, metaphor for how people view the story of job which is christians what we normally hear is the christian interpretation of the story of job which completely misunderstands or disregards the you know uh the tradition of of jewish exegesis and how it's sort of an ongoing sort of dialectic uh i I have a degree in religious studies so i'm gonna get pretentious real quick I opened uh, the door. <laughs> uh, you opened the fucking door. I, I, You fell into my trap, Pete. I was sec- I was secretly like steepling my fingers uh, and saying excellent to myself. But uh, <laughs> I mean, there's a, there's a tradition that Christians inherited that they just try to repurpose for um, what they need it for. And uh, the thing is, the incongruities that result are sort of a paper trail. Of, you know, the conflict between the original intent and what it's, you know, now being used for. And I think that that's a good, uh, there are many points in this where I I felt like, you know, um, the original was being at least misunderstood and sometimes at worst sort of wrestled with uh, sloppily.
0: Or, or or, for instance, with Dr. Manhattan, I like the, the, the real shame of the show to me is I think that there are at, like glimmers of really good ideas that that Lindelof and the rest sure. of the writing crew, I guess, have no idea what to do with or develop. Yeah, <laughs> um, like like. I feel like, um, you know, there's a moment that's completely glossed over because obviously imperialism was a pretty unavoidable thing in the original work with the yeah. the, the superheroes go to Vietnam. And it was like, uh, you know, they, everyone does a does a war crime or two. And yeah. at one point, Angela addresses Dr. Manhattan when she doesn't believe that he is Dr. Manhattan. And she she's like, I wouldn't like this guy because he murdered a bunch of Vietnamese people, uh, which led directly to a Vietnamese suicide bombing that killed my parents, and that's all glossed over. Doctor Manhattan's like, if it's any consolation, I regret it. And it's like, what the f-? like, and that, that's pretty much the end of that conversation in the show. Hmm. Yeah, and it could, and that could have been
1: like the whole show because the the person who turns out to be the air quotes villain of the show is Lady True who is Vietnamese and they don't she doesn't even say anything about it she doesn't and she tries to kill Dr. Manhattan she does kill Dr. Manhattan actually and she doesn't say anything about the fact that hey you are the reason why my country has been colonized Um, by the U.S., why my mother was, you know, uh, went from being uh, probably some kind of scientist to like a housekeeper for some uh, wealthy guy. Like, she says nothing. We are just supposed to, we are told by Ozymandias uh, that she's just, you know, because she wants... Uh, this power, she must be stopped because she must be a me- megalomana- uh megalomaniac, and that's it. That's the only thing we're told about her and her motivations. She is just that. Yeah. Oh, she's just some crazy broad. She must be if yeah. she well, wants to get the Doctor Manhattan power. Again, it seems like almost.
2: I. It seems almost willfully ironic in that we're being given a uh, a woman of colors uh, who experienced uh, the horrors of of uh you know imperialism we're being given it through an affluent white man's uh mangling of it well her intention
0: that was uh that was another like a lady true i thought was really interesting it was a really interesting character um but like the the character kind of a step like behind her that i thought really could like had potential was her mother that appears in the very last episode and, like, just for a moment, right? She is a refugee from Vietnam working as a housekeeper for Ozymandias. Um, and, and I feel like there's there's actually a really interesting – that's a really interesting premise in itself. But, again, Lindelof, he's just like, meh. Um, and then she injects the guy's semen into herself. And the, that's as that's the, the end of, her story. Always, the end know, of her story. Well,
1: let's, let's not gloss over the fact that he uh, – he uh, supposed to believe that he keeps jars of his semen um, behind his desk, uh, just completely bizarre and out of nowhere. It makes no sense. He's not yeah. supposed to be some kind of uh, pervert uh, that keeps the semen everywhere, and he keeps it behind his desk in his office and allows you know this uh, her to steal it, and we see her inject it into herself so that she can give herself a baby as smart as the white Aussie uh, Mandius. Just yeah. wonderful racial
0: stuff well, going on there. Well
3: I don't know where you well, guys store all, the I, jugs, but uh I, I was gonna make the same joke, Pete. I, I was so, trying I to so also, right but
2: now. I couldn't think of <laughs> <laughs> So we're a bunch of, of adults, so that's good. Yeah. Um, we're very but sophisticated. Just keep it, you all know, right. it was in like a it was in like the thing that the Ghostbusters locked ghosts in. Remember? It was like a, <laughs> it was like in a special <laughs> yeah, sciency yeah, yeah. sort of uh vault. Yeah. But I mean isn't that isn't that that's like a let's because he he worships himself thinks very highly of his genes right and, you know I, I think but there's I, also I don't know powerful eight, man eight, uh, virility worship or something
0: but I was trying to remember I don't think Ozymandias the Virgin was a thing in the original comic I don't I certainly don't remember that but it may have been true I don't know
3: I well I I don't think he talked about it much because well I mean he didn't have any peers I he could have he could have like. uh talked about that sort of thing with dr. Manhattan but like imagine <laughs> what that conversation would have been like sure what
2: do you what do you what do you think about the uh, either of you what do you what do you think about the journey that I guess we don't boy do we see it no, am I missing this the the Ozymandias we last see in the comic book like you said is the sort of aloof um, you know sort of what Dr. Man, you know, the close, as close as you could be to Dr. Manhattan without, you know, being a, a god. He's sort of aloof and, uh, like we discussed earlier. But, and then in this one, he's in in the show, he sort of, uh, you know, Adam Mission the, the farting. There's like a, it's like he's a com. he's almost like he's a comic relief. He always, he also reminds me a little bit like of C3PO, sort of a bumbling, uh, British butler vibe. And I, I was thinking, is this the writing? Are they, Missing yes. the mark, is this supposed to have some sort of meaning in it, this juxtaposition?
1: Yeah, there is no mean, meaning to it other than Damien Lindelof. Uh, first of all, they couldn't get Jeremy Irons for that much. They filmed all of his scenes first, um, oh, especially God. the ones on him on the island. That's the first thing they shot um, because oh. they only had like a, a couple of weeks to do it because the weather was going to turn. And, yeah. um it, I mean, his character has no connection to the comic book whatsoever. The, yeah. Like, even the earliest things you see, uh, it, it's a complete misunderstanding because if he spends the whole time, like, killing these servants, right? Over and over again. He yeah. kills, like,. Hundreds of them are um, meant to believe. Yeah. And that's because he kills his servants in the comic book. But if you actually read the comic book with a, the smart part of your brain that Damon Lindelof uh, never uses, <laughs> you realize that he's actually deeply sad about this. Yes, he yeah, kills yes. a bunch of his servants when they've fulfilled their task but he takes no joy or glee in it he's deeply said he feels like this is a burden he has taken upon himself and he feels yeah. guilty about it now he he, he still you know doesn't kills millions and millions of people but he's not yeah. glib about it. he's not you know and the thing that damon described the ozymandias scenes in his show is they're like looney tunes they're like roadrunner uh, yeah. And absolutely. like that's that's the he literally built a giant went, catapult. <laughs> yeah. It's so weird and such a bizarre, you know, turn to take when you're supposed to be looking at this supposed show is supposed to be about partial at least reckon uh, rec- a reckoning with Ozymandias uh crime right. and. Instead, he spends the first eight episodes as, you know, complete and other comic relief. And the only real reckoning is that they do one of the cheesiest Bookham Dano scenes I've ever seen <laughs> in any TV show. It's like he saves, the, they they defeat Lady yeah. True. They blow the thing up. All of the good cops yeah. save all the people, all the townspeople and prevent the second uh, Tulsa uh, massacre, even though they were the ones who did the first one, and yeah. then Ozzy Manius, <laughs> who has helped with all this, turns around and says, "and and says, oh well, that was wonderful. We took care of all that. And then the co- again the good white cop, along with the good uh, FBI agent, arrests him, and that's it. That's how that whole thing is resolved. I don't know how you don't look at that as like." cop and then some of uh, the laziest uh, sort of cop yeah
2: i just thought it was weird how in, in the comic book he had he carried himself with, with such an air of uh air quotes d- dignity yeah and then in this it seemed like the writers put, put so much time and effort into <laughs> breaking down
1: <laughs> that yeah, dignity destroying it for no real reason yeah just because
3: yeah it it was like fozzy bear played ozzy man absolutely absolutely
0: <laughs> waka waka yeah but but just a little bit deeper into like the the, like propaganda in this particular show um that there's you know that there's you know there's sympathetic uh portrayals of police breaking the law and being violent for often no fucking reason um and the and it's these transgressions are portrayed as necessary or even at like in the case i don't know in a few cases as evidence of like their own moral clarity um but like the there's there's like a few things going on here i don't know there's Obviously, propaganda, as it's normally presented, there's like this there's there's often like one good cop, as you just mentioned, Leslie, like at the end, like you have these two good cops that do the right thing, despite whatever issues may be going on. Um, but like in this in this particular one, it actually kind of looks the camera directly in the face on propaganda, because the part of the opening scene in Tulsa uh, a young Will Reeves is watching a, an old timey film uh, featuring a, a black sheriff named Bass Reeves who shouts into the camera, there will be no, no uh, justice here today, uh, no, no mob justice here today, uh, trust in the law, and uh, that inspires him to eventually become a police officer. Angela witnesses an extrajudicial murder uh, as a child, and that makes her want to be a cop. Um, I, it's a it's a bizarre way, out of that like these people you, because you do see these people's journey toward being a, a police officer, right?
1: Yeah, but it's a completely like false journey. Like like it it that's not why people become cops in the real world they become cops because they uh don't have the grades to get into college <laughs> or, you or they know, have a power complex yeah or they want you want power they want you know it's a it's a job that pays decently you know i it's yeah. not like a, a quest and a thirst for justice that, you know generation <laughs> after generation people just keep getting tricked into somehow yeah. like that's that's the proposal of the show it's like oh uh, yeah like and we and we they never show us the scenes of like Angela as a beat cop because she normally becomes a cop after already being like a troop right but we don't see yeah. her do anything like like her you know pulling over black people in Tulsa and try uh, in yeah. order to get her numbers up because they need to do a certain <laughs> amount of tickets in order to keep the thing running they we don't see any of that we we in fact or throughout the show we really don't see the actual police violence the actual police do Pol- uh, police the problem with police is not that they raid too many white supremacist terror sales like that's not the issue people have with cops so even if uh some people make the argument that oh we're supposed to see those raids and that violence against the- again the white super villain white supremacists. Uh, yeah. Terror sales terrorists white supremacists and supervillains all three in one we're supposed to see the violence that the cops do against them as you know going too far or unjustified It's still like not about uh, is still like not addressing the problems we actually have with police because this takes place in the superhero fantasy land and they fight superhero fantasy villains.
3: Uh well the one thing that kind of fascinates me about this is how much Damon Lindhoff is telling on himself because yeah. everybody who tries to become a cop like for good justifiable reasons or not is trying to become a cop to accumulate power to hit somebody over the head with it and sure. I'm just like that is the only true thought you had in this whole goddamn <laughs> uh, yeah. series
2: yeah and, and I you know I know I've had friends that have uh i have two friends that uh you know wanted wanted to be uh police officers when i was younger one of them uh to this day he wasn't able to do it but he still wants to and uh you know uh spoiler alert he's he's an asshole uh and we're no longer <laughs> friends the other one actually did become a police officer and uh washed out because that's what an actual that's what a person does if they actually want to do good as a police officer and they don't end up getting turned by the job is you won't be a good police officer and you'll wash out. Like whenever people say there's good police officers, it's like I I don't know if they I don't think they make it very far. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, so, I, have we have we mentioned yet that I this may be worth you know putting right on the ground that uh, Alan Moore is uh, an anarchist.
0: Yeah, yeah I mean, and that's, this that's sort of his and, political. And, ultimately, and I don't know about you guys, but I get the feeling that Damon Lindelof is not an anarchist. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no, he's a white
1: liberal. He admits this. He I, I, The <laughs> accolades that he gets on this show, especially for the racial politics, are so funny because he admits that like he did, had never heard of the Tulsa massacre until he was working on the show. He admits yeah. that he's completely ignorant about race. He admits that he pissed off a lot of the black writers with some of so his comments better. and thoughts. I have, you know, spilt some exclusive tea on this, is that two of the black writers on the show deliberately tried to get themselves fired from the show because they felt it was too pro-cop. In part, uh, and I I don't know about this, but but one of the black writers on the show, I don't know if this is... I don't know if it was it's their fault or not, but one of the black writers on the show is a former Chicago police officer. Now I don't want to put all the blame on them because I'm pretty sure most of the blame for the pro cop uh, aspect comes from Damon. But it is worth knowing that a literal cop worked, uh, wrote the show.
2: That's nice. Boy, they got a, they got a black writer and, and, a, and a cop writer. Really, they, they checked, at the same they time a couple of boxes.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Well, I mean, so two things about police violence in the show, because two examples spring to mind um, that. Uh, so what one you're supposed to cheer for, it's when the cops show up to like the mobile home park uh, after the police of, p- police chief is killed and they just terrorize everyone in the mobile home park because I guess they want the audience to associate poverty with white supremacy, which is already, I, I think, like like i think well known to be a dipshit liberal take uh on on white uh, supremacy was that supposed supremacy? to be a
2: sympathetic scene uh, cuz i remember I, I remember not reading it that way look
1: they could it, remember, like well, it was very they did both ways they did two things cuz it's like it, you, you, at first angela is horrified by what's going on feels certain kind of way cuz she's learned all these secrets and stuff and she knows that uh who killed jud but is keeping it secret so she's kind of conflicted and been brought out of her comfort zone but and yeah. when she sees that what's happening she's kind of upset but then someone like clocks one of her you know coworkers and then she gets out and beats the shit out of that person worse <laughs> than anybody else was getting beat up so like they couldn't make up yeah. their mind on this like there were so many ideas where they could have gone in a direction where they were explicitly condemning um, police brutality, but they, like, went in a different direction. And all of this stuff that we're even talking about, like, gets completely forgotten by, like, the third or fourth episode. So uh, it's Someone like,
2: made a choice to have one of those working class people punch the cop so that they could go, aha, it was somewhat justified in yes. being there.
1: <laughs> and like i expected that scene to come back where okay so angela she's gone both ways on this and now she'll learn a lesson but it just does not come back it they don't they right. forget all the police stuff in, towards the middle of the show. They just completely drop the thread. We don't find out anything more about the modern-day police department, aside from the fact that uh, Don Johnson, who was the chief, was had some kind of deal going with the white supremacists, but it, 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 yeah. that's barely explained because they literally go around like killing and blowing up the white supremacists. The cops and the white supremacists, ne- neither one of them know that they're in on it together. Only Don Johnson knows that it's supposed to be some sort of yeah. like war that they're like civil war that they're trying to start to get someone elected uh, because like people are going to be so it's not explained. It's not explained, but that's the plan. The plan is to start so much trouble by having the cops fight the white supremacists that somebody else that a white supremacist gets elected president. That's basically the plan. It makes no sense and it has nothing at all again to say about the real world. You
2: can tell how unpolitically aware the writers and showrunners are because they set up so many themes in juxtaposition to each other in the show that make it so obvious how ridiculous they are. Like, you know, if you put two, uh, you know, opposing ideas right in proximity, you know, for the audience to see, that's probably a big writing 101 no, no, like, like, boy, you shouldn't put them right next to each other, because uh, or, or it's intentional and it's
0: trying to say something. But I don't think Damon Lindelof is that skillful. No, exactly. So
2: I kept, I kept getting this dissonance in the world that they've created, you know, and you know, trying to read some intent into it. And I was thinking, whenever I see this dissonance, it, I kept thinking, is this, is this ironic? But then I looked at all those situations, and there wasn't a consistent message with the irony. It literally just seemed like they don't understand. Uh, you know, how her society works.
3: Well, they don't even understand how time works. Like, one of the things that drives me crazy about this is you've got Dr. Manhattan in the middle of this and he's fully Billy Pilgrim. He's existing at all moments at once. And... Lindhoff doesn't understand what that represents in his own narrative. You have someone who should be completely unsurprised at all times. And the fact that he consistently emotionally engages at the appropriate beats all the way through is just stupid.
1: Right. No, I I, I agree. Yeah. uh, Alan Moore did write around this by explaining why Dr. Manhattan was a little out of sorts around the, incident of watchman he sets it up very early on like why does this guy who knows everything not know what's coming is because he gets killed at a certain point uh in the, in oh, that's the story right. that's right
0: yeah well i mean uh so the other instance of police violence that we see uh is when will reeves is uh, a police officer and he's also been hooded justice for uh, a while now and and he he comes across Cyclops and he has this moment where he kind of puts on the hood and he just starts shooting uh, um, uh, white supremacists and who, who have just done like a terrible, like, you know, hypnot, hip, hypnotizing massacre. On, and don't get us wrong. Uh, um, that's real
2: good. That's real good. What's that? Way. that? Don't get us wrong. That what? part's real good. No, that's starts, the like, thing, though. The but it, it's
0: portrayed as like this. Oh my! Look, he's just murdering he's people. He's gone oh to God, the the Crazy the, the and part. killed all these white supremacists. Yeah, like, I'm I, not I,
3: hearing Miranda.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Like I that had to see, I was so excited for that scene to see him gun down all those clans men uh, cops. Yeah. That I had to have it explained to me by my white friends that actually that was supposed (laughs) to be a sad scene. I was just a little confused, (laughs) but like (laughs) they play sad music through it, the way it's shot, and the fact that the very next scene his wife leaves him because he's too angry. His wife who he has never who Up to that point in the episode had not had a single bit of conflict with whatsoever she says you're too angry i'm leaving you immediately after he uh does finally does the right thing and kills all the white supremacists that he knew about (laughs) for years he knew they were in the police department for years and did nothing about it
0: yeah
2: yeah so it's like his so his wait so his black wife is a white supremacist is that what she's <laughs> trying to start trying to rationalize it with these ridiculous hey and th- hey and they also made him a, a, a closet have a closeted uh gay relationship so again that they is added from the comic two check boxes in one and screwed the screwed him over the character i mean uh i don't know villa not vilified him um there's just so many this is the, this is a show of mixed signals and I need to know, I need to hear somebody account for this. I would almost be satisfied, given the hours of my life I gave to watching it, if someone could give a coherent, reasonably believable, you know, sort of theory of everything in in this show. But well, is it so sloppy, do you I, think? Or, or is it sloppy? Or do you think that a lot of the inconsistencies come from willfully trying to not say certain things or, or willfully trying to say other things.
1: I, so I, I, listened to the, you know, the podcast where Damon Lindelof, you know, talked about the show. Um, and it, it was very insightful. So first of all, the idea that he has something actually coherent political to say is probably not true, and I think he probably almost admits okay. this because he says he's not familiar. He, he says straight up, I'm probably not the guy to do a TV show about race. Now, the fact of the matter is, the reason he does the show is because HBO owns the IP to Watchmen. They wanted something yeah. Watchmen related to put on their apps and advertise. Um, they uh, they want you know they own this brand. They they exploit it in the comic books and they're, they're exploiting it uh, for a TV show they want something after Game of Thrones um, this was not nearly a Game of Thrones hit this was actually got about half the viewers as the leftovers the Damon uh, the prior Damon Lindelof show so they're probably very that's why it's not getting a second season because this is a very expensive show that underperformed greatly in spite of all the attempts to you know uh, uh, flex uh, massage the numbers and get a lot of good PR out there like a not a lot of people watched it. And so the fact it is, like, the reason is so it doesn't make sense is because there's no reason for Damon Lindelof to be doing a Watchmen show. Watchmen was Alan Moore's idea from 34 years ago, you know? And right. it was, like, his, his final word on superheroes and comic books. Damon Lindelof has nothing at all to say about Watchmen or the, about the real world through Watchmen. He really, his work really rarely has anything much to say about the real world and if you don't believe me watch the hunt which Damon lindelof also wrote which explicitly tries to be about the real world and he complete and the current political moment of red states blue states etc and it completely flops and fails and it's completely ridiculous and any way who like thinks there's a message for in watchmen should be forced to watch the hunt and explain what the message in that is because it's the same person who wrote both and there's even some overlaps too but uh, there, there, it's just like he was hired to do this and that's not how creativity is supposed to work you know uh, I we're, we're so used to seeing like oh so and so is going to direct this Star Wars movie so and so is going to direct this Marvel movie the question should be like does this person like want to direct the Spider-Man movie or does right. he want to do yeah. like something on their his own that he had like so many of these indie directors that get hired by Disney like w- they were doing more interesting stuff before and now they're just uh, sh- uh, put uh basically pretending to direct these big action set pieces and it's similar with Watchmen. I'm sure he put lindelof put a little bit more of himself into this than he would if he were making a marvel movie but ultimately there's no reason for damon lindelof to be doing a watchman show so anything he, he has nothing to say about it he just did it and that's why there are so many mixed signals mixed messages and every and if you listen to him talk about it he's just like hey i had this idea that what if you know the first superhero who in the comic was a nazi sympathizing white supremacist what if he was actually black and that's the entirety of the thinking behind it. What yeah. if, what if, what if? That's the laziest it seemed, it, form of writing. It, it, it,
2: it seemed like rather than, oh, my God. I, so rather than, it's like a uh, a child being, give, being given, you know, a bunch of really fragile things. Like he had all these yeah. important topics with gravity uh, to them. And his whole thing was like sort of a playful speculation about yes. them, which, again, is very white. Uh, you know, the, uh, you know, you see, you hear, you know, people of color's perspectives on police, and you're like, that's interesting. I, I, I need to read more about that. That's, that's neat. Yeah. Um, but, 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 but I can't, I can't imagine being, you know, on the left, we often get, you know, accused of, uh, politicizing everything. And if you're a creative person, if you make art, if you make a movie, if, if you make things with, you know, uh, with content to them. You know, politics is subconscious. You know, that that's why things are political is because you can read – you you do put your, your politics into these things. But this is well, such an overtly – the content in Watchmen is so overtly political. Having someone that readily admits that they're not the most politically aware – I would be so ashamed <laughs> to have been given the helm – to a a, sh- a show that has the potential to talk about such important topics and be like, but, hey, but his I'm politics, not the guy to do that. Hey, I probably shouldn't have been given this, right? <laughs>
0: his his politics are absolutely like stupid, though, because like, the, and I think you see this in the way that the world is constructed around the Robert Redford presidency, yeah, um, because you you have like they like first of all uh leslie you pointed out in your piece i didn't even catch this when i was watching the show but there's a reparations program called red that's apparently a fucking tax cut uh, and, yeah. and not just that it's it's for it's for like specific instances of violence like tulsa yeah. not for like systemic violence or for slavery it's just for like a specific incident yeah and it's uh um and, and, of course, it results in more white supremacy. And I think there's even an interview where Damon Lindelof basically admits that he thinks that, like, racism will always be there. He, he views it as an inherent uh, condition of humanity, I suppose.
3: I, I would like to engage in some wild speculation and also confess I'm a corporate hack at the same time, if that's all right with everybody. Okay. Sure, sure, sure. sure. Go on. Okay. So... Uh, <laughs> Um, in, in, in the life where I'm paid more, uh, I, I am a, uh, a corporate trainer. I design, develop, deliver all that crap to get the checks, to pay the rent. And there's a thing that people do on a corporate level when they have a big project and short deadlines and no soul. And that is they take all of the different pieces of a production, set parameters on it, and hand it to a bunch of different people and sew it the hell together at the last minute. And that is what the show feels like to me is that somebody came through. It's like in this scene, we want to have something going on with, with a bunch of white guys being beaten up in a trailer park. And in here we want sort of an Americanized Vietnam and like, all of these things got stapled together with some last minute adjustment by Lindhoff so it formed a narrative. Like it didn't feel like somebody coherently owned it from beginning to end. It was a bunch of shit that happened.
2: Yeah, Yeah. again, it seemed like a white out of touch guy had a bunch of beats that he thought would be neat for the show. And then he was like, all right, make sure the narrative connecting all this stuff is uh, good. See you guys later. I'm going to (laughs) go play squash or whatever the hell white people do. I don't know.
0: Am I canceled now?
2: Sure, 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 sure. You're
0: sure. fine. You're, you're, you're <laughs> <laughs> sure. No, I mean, I think that's, like, your, your point. I mean, I think by the end of the show, what you see is, like, the overall message doesn't actually have anything to say... Uh, really politically or about cops or or even about race what like at the end like there's this scene between will reeves and his granddaughter angela and the the, apparently the big message of the show is that masks are bad yeah Uh, which which, which, like that was ultimately the moral of the story he was like as a metaphor no, I don't even think that's true. Oh, because <laughs> yeah. I don't I don't know what it would be a metaphor for in this no, particular I, I, like I, I, I can explain Linda, this. Linda. Um,
1: and this sure. is straight from Damon's mouth and I, I was shocked when I heard this, but he was very explicit about this. So yes, the if you hear him talk about the show, that's another thing he says. Like he, he's obsessed with talking about masks. Like what are masks? He think that's oh he thinks God. it's such a profound <laughs> question. I think he mentions it in like every interview. Like what are masks? What type of people wear Oh masks God, we wear uh, masks when we want to be do good but sometimes we wear them when we want to do bad and and what he turned the mask in because it was in a big very, joe rogan energy <laughs> on a very aren't low, my ideas neat they blow my mind wow <laughs> but he was very much on a literal level with the mass but when he did yeah. turn it to a metaphor it was wonderful <laughs> because he said you know anger <laughs> Is a mask. You're covering up the fact that yeah. you're sad. So, and I, I swear to God, this is what he's saying. You know, there's, but in order to take, but wounds need air to breathe. So when you're talking about racism, black people have to take off their mask of anger and oh, let the wound my. heal that is oh. what i swear that is what the show is about i am not exaggerating i am paraphrasing what he said but that oh is my. what he said like this is a show about race this is a show about anger this is a show about racial anger and the, the if mass are bad and anger is bad you have to take that off you have to take yeah. that off that's definitely how the it, wounds breathe
0: that's definitely how it feels at the end is that like the, the moral of the story is like i get over it i guess like, like it, it, it starts with, with the Tulsa massacre and it and ends with, with I, I guess, guess we, we got to get over, over it. it. Uh, that's hey, what they say, okay, man. Anger, anger hurts the person, the, the person feeling it more than it
2: hurts anyone else, hurts anyone else okay? So let go, okay? go so of that, go that burden. burden.
3: Yeah, well, yeah. you know yeah. when when you point a gun at someone, there's always three fingers pointing back at you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh, man, you know what that's so true.
0: but But at the end end of the show there's this ambiguous ambiguous ending because I guess he wanted wanted to like mimic the ambiguous ending ending of the the Watchmen Watchmen, which was actually interesting whether people would find out (laughs) about (laughs) Ozymandias' ruse as opposed to at the end it's like is Angela a god now yes or no who knows but there's nothing like I feel like the question is is kind of undermined by itself because I'm not sure that like like we should be happy that Angela might also become a god now that doesn't seem like a positive development based on what we've seen uh, but it, it, it kind of reminded me of, like, the one good cop type of approach to copaganda. Where, like, okay, maybe maybe uh, John Osterman shouldn't be a god character, but may, maybe Angela should. Maybe that's the issue. It's not that power itself is a problem. It's that the person who's, who's sitting in the driver's seat, we just need to change them out. The institutions can remain the same.
2: Yeah, again, it's someone dealing with these very real political realities as if there's something neat to speculate about. It's like, there's no what if, what if about this. Like, there's there's very clear ways that these things operate.
3: You know, if True were going to brutally murder Dr. Manhattan and, I don't know, peel his skin off and dance around with it, whatever, I don't care, she'd be sure. the hero as far as I was concerned.
2: Yeah. It just needs to be fucking brutal. That's all that matters. Yeah,
1: yeah. yeah but you... But you couldn't do it because he already had the cool idea of making Dr. Manhattan black exactly like his idea of making uh, Mass Justice black. Like he had two cool ideas about making these uh, completely reprehensible characters black. So then you couldn't have like a revenge uh, narrative where the colonized gets back at the monster who destroyed their country because like he's a cool black dad now. I mean making the black making making the bad guy black is uh you
2: know that that's that's uh peak peak liberal. That's why people love Obama because it's 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 all the same bad stuff, but with that with that cool black flavor. Yeah.
3: I really wish they would have done a season two because I would have look been looking forward to seeing what Jeremy Irons look like black. I, I want <laughs> no, no, I'll
2: tell you what I want. I want a radical director to, to take over and take the universe exactly as it's as, as they left off And have the next season be an intentional Parody Of of, of the <laughs> politics of, of the previous one Like where yeah where they literally Have everyone just taking their faces Oh everyone's black wow Check that out and it just really like leans <laughs> Into all the stupid bullshit Like you know maybe there's eight dildos In her purse now And uh, you know maybe it's even bigger Maybe it like a uh, death by dildo Or something like that you know
0: Jesus well, what
3: I'm, I do have one thing positive to say, and it's very small. What What I'm hoping is that this Watchman property is going to make some artistic talent out there so angry that they're going to make a response to it. And that response it would have to be glorious. Like, that would be the only good thing to come out of this, is someone attempting to destroy it in a beautiful way.
0: Uh, I, I, I I would love to see that as well. Um uh, but it, it it kind of gets to the like kind of the final question I had, which is about like you know what to do about these properties in general, because I think we we've probably all seen like a pop culture property that that we just feel like someone did it dirty, you know what I mean? Um, and in this case, we're all mad about the Watchmen. Um, but you know, we, like we do this thing on Future Left uh, that we say Control Alt Delete is like a, a segment we do. Where we try to think about whether a, a thing should be uh, publicly owned or worker controlled or if it should just be abolished, right? So Amazon should be nationalized or um, OnlyFans should be owned by the workers and Arby's should be abolished, for instance. Um, so, uh, but they've got but the meats though, they-
2: so – Good
0: luck. That's true. You got to figure out the meats problem, but yeah. uh, the the t- thinking about like in this case, maybe we call it intellectual property, although I hate that term. But like, it's a safe bet that Alan Moore, uh, not a fan of Lindelof's Watchmen. Mm-hmm. Um, in the in the same way that I don't know that Alan Moore's been a fan of any adaptation of his work, as far as I know. Well, it's but, worth um, saying. Uh, well,
1: it's worth saying that the idea that he hates. Every, all the adaptations is actually like corporate propaganda to turn fans against him that's been really effective he actually just doesn't care and doesn't want to be involved with it and he wants like wb warner brothers to stop lying and saying that he was involved in this production or that production when he wasn't you can look up the, there's a big story uh, it was a big deal because he got like sued for uh, because of the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen movie, and he had to go through a horrible deposition, and then Warner Brothers settled after he had to go through all that shit, and so that's why he was like really he's really pissed off at them. So the idea yeah. that he hates his adaptations is just not true. He will he literally says I just don't care about them, and he doesn't uh, want any of the money from them. In fact, he refuses the money from him. He's a very like. Noble guy in this regard, and like has been turned by you know the uh, the corporations and like the fan sites and. Websites and journalists that kind of uh, like do PR for them that, oh, Alan Moore is just a curmudgeonly old man. And it doesn't matter how good the movie is, he's going to be mad about it or whatever. And I'm like, no, no, he just doesn't care and doesn't want anything to yeah. do with the company that screwed him over, has stolen Watchmen from him. Alan Moore is supposed to own the rights to Watchmen. Um, but they basically screwed him over and tricked him out of the rights. He's supposed to own all this. This TV show should not exist unless Alan Moore was actually giving it his approval, which he, uh, you know, maybe he would have if he had, you know, the con- type of control he's supposed to have over this thing yeah. that he created.
0: Yeah. But no, he, right, had so have, I mean,
2: he had to have. He had to have philosophical integrity, loser.
0: Yeah. Well. My man just wants to live in the woods, do some witchcraft, ride a little bit, you know, and good for rich. him. Um, but uh, no, I mean, at this, at, like, just uh, on that note, like, you know, um, but uh, control over these works that people created, because I know that there are also examples where it's kind of improved upon, and I'm thinking specifically about like Paul uh, Verhoeven's adaptation of like starship troopers for instance uh, i don't think robert heinlein would be uh too crazy about like satirizing his work in such a way uh, in the same in the same way that maybe uh pete like you said if someone were to uh lampoon lindelof's work uh as he deserves he probably wouldn't like that either um but like how do you how do you think we should think of like these kind of these uh on the one hand intellectual properties that become like pop culture icons and i think a lot of people often feel like they belong to everyone but in in reality they currently just belong to corporations um what what do you think you'd like to see out of like i don't know these big properties and how they're managed and how they're you know adapted and how they're i don't know um uh, reimagined and so forth
1: uh public domain (laughs) Uh, Starship Troopers. The book came out in 1959. The film came out in 1997. That movie, that book, should have been public domain by then.
3: I agree. Sure. Um, I do. You guys know the vonnegut quote about war and glaciers? No. Okay. Well, no. vonnegut used to say that he he didn't consider himself anti-war, but he did consider himself anti-glacier. And what he was trying to say is that they were both inevitable, and his his stance on it didn't really contribute anything.
2: What does "icebergs are inevitable" mean, Kurt Vonnegut?
3: One person can't stop a glacier is all he's saying. And oh, I okay. okay, got you. So i I think that while I, I've got some grave concerns about. Taking people's artistic work and hollowing out the skin and dancing around it with it, which is a metaphor I've used twice now for no reason at all. But uh, I enjoy it. Okay, I great, like it great. Too. I I think uh, the difficulty at this point would be what are you going to do about it if you if you say it's bad? I I say it's complicated, and I, it sounds like Leslie's going the same way. Like I would like for creators to get the benefit and a measure of control over their ideas over their lifetime. But like, w- once you're dead, I, I don't believe in the soul, and I certainly don't care about your kids. So...
2: <laughs> Whoa.
3: Let it loose. Pete, hey, you, you
2: must, must be a, a horrible, horrible children's, children's birthday clown. clown.
3: Yes, yes. I, no, I have a no dog that I'm and, fond of. There's no
2: soul and fuck all you kids.
3: Oh, yeah. Well... <laughs> I mean honestly once we banned children's factory work it all became pointless to me so I know
2: they they got real like you know they got real above their penny uh which is probably <laughs> a, a horrible classist term that I'm going to find out about when I google it in a minute um I'm canceled but uh I I mean the show certainly has value in uh you know, uh, leftists like us watching it from, you know, a sort of aloof amusement and uh, sort of being able to to tear it apart. And and, and in that way, it's sort of a emblem of uh, a a lot of things. Most of it, you know, sort of white, uh, rich ignorance uh, and and sort of inability to – I I just – I couldn't get over – if someone asked me what I thought the the show was essentially about – I would say that it's a show that deals with a lot of very uh, heavy, uh, sensitive topics that are dealt with in a very uh, carefree way. I mean, I I think at at best that that's how they're treated. Yeah. Um, Yeah.
3: Yeah, I think it's a it's a guy with no principles version of what a principled
0: prestige piece would be.
2: Yeah. Yeah yeah no i agree
0: for sure no i mean it's i like i said i think it's a shame because i am interested in the like the idea of like what happened decades later is kind of interesting and like i said i think there are there are there were items in the show that I was really interested in and, like at no point did I actually imagine I can watch no more of this. I certainly couldn't go the extra mile, Leslie, and listen to the fucking podcast. I couldn't do that. But, um, I, you know, you know, the idea of, of not watching it at a certain point was unimaginable just because of the equal parts of potential and cringe that I kept feeling. You know? <laughs> yeah.
3: Oh, uh, have do either of you have kids? That's personal. You know. I'm sorry. Okay,
0: no, well, uh, my, 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 my cats are my kids.
3: Oh, yeah, well, I've got a dog like that. I totally get it. But, like, if you tell, I've got nieces, and, like, occasionally I'll tell them a joke. Oh, well,
2: I've got nieces, Pete. Fuck, if we're talking about nieces, then hell yeah. I'm lousy with nieces.
3: <laughs> well, when I finish telling them a joke or a story, inevitably what they say is, well, and then what happened? Because they want sure. the story to go on. Like, they're attached to it. They want the narrative to continue. And I think that's the appeal of having the Watchmen keep going. It's like, I really feel like Alan Moore put it in a beautiful bow. There was nothing more he had to yeah. say about it. And then yeah. somebody uh, else said, and then what happened?
2: Right. And and then that, but as this show was going on, I was also thinking, but then what happened? But it wasn't because I was so enthralled in the narrative. It was because I was like, "Oh my God, it's uh, you know, it's like a street fight. It's like, boy, this is a, a horrible condition of our, of uh, you know, this this probably points to a lot of bad social things, but it's a fight. So it was sort of like it was almost it was almost like trash TV, except a little bit more uh, shrouded. You know, it's like my, my Kardashians."
0: Well, um, I think that brings us, uh, on the note of the Kardashian, uh, that brings us to the end of uh, tonight's podcast. Um, but I thank you very much to our guests, uh, Pete uh, Johansson and Leslie Lee the Third. This was really cool, guys. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, Thank you so much for having me on.
3: Yeah, Absolutely. this was a pleasure. And, and it's always good to hang out with Leslie, too. Uh, Leslie, I owe you an episode about anime. I'll reach out to you once I've finished my homework.
0: All right, awesome. <laughs> yeah. To, yeah, there you go. Uh, anime coming soon to uh, struggle session near you. Uh, yeah. You guys should do do a hentai
2: episode also. Uh,
0: What's that?
2: Weird. I don't know about that one, but you know. I know. I know. <laughs> you, you know what? Your
1: response was feel, absolutely I, right. I feel your that's more of a, <laughs> a that's more of a come town episode than a struggle session episode. <laughs> I beg your
2: I, I beg your pardon. I thought you said come town. What did you
1: say? I said that's more of a come town episode than a struggle session episode.
0: There you go.
2: I love me. I love me Uh, some
1: cometown.
0: Anyway, um, I'm a child. uh, uh, For Future Left, I'm Adam.
2: And I'm Casey. All
0: right.